It's like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this episode, we are continuing our exploration of uh, the Coen Brothers films in the month of November 2019, as our theme, The Coens, uh, continues. Uh, for this episode, Corey selected Barton Fink, a, a Coens film she had never seen before. I had seen once before, uh, just, I believe, in 2016, when I did the uh, initial movie challenge for BurkeReviews.com. Um, if you've never listened to the show before, each month we have a different theme, and uh, we pick movies, we, we alternate weeks, picking a movie that one of us has not seen, and then uh, we watch it, get together, and talk about it on this episode. But before we get into our movie of the week, we like to discuss what else we've been watching and just kind of catch up and see how things have been since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how's it going? Uh, it's fine. Um, yeah. Just busy with work and, you know. Well, yeah, this I had to work a lot extra last week, um, but... Uh, it's a day, the last couple of days has finally been fairly cool here in Florida. Like today it was fifty one degrees, I think, when I woke up this morning. Yeah, well, you know, uh, well, I know you know, but maybe listeners don't know. But um, my grandmother lives there too, and mm. we like talk a lot through Facebook uh, Messenger because we're cool. Um, <laughs> when we were talking yesterday, it was actually a few degrees cooler there than it was here. Oh wow at that time which i thought was pretty funny but it's been kind of mild here knock on wood because mm, i'm a little nervous but it's fine but yeah i heard you guys have nice weather and i know you love wearing hoodies so i do and i especially love them when i am fitting into them so comfortably right now yes. so you know it's always a good feeling even better um but you know uh I worked a lot more last week at my my third job, um, so I have very little to talk about in in terms of what I've been watching, uh, though a couple of new things that I am excited to mention. But I just did not have free time, and when I did, I was either getting caught up on other work, or um, try I I tried to you know decompress with some video games that I can just hop on for like twenty minutes or whatever, um, and and play. Uh, and I did. I've devoted like Friday nights to hanging out with um, with uh, a couple of friends and playing Magic because it's it's a good like social and chill environment. We have a lot of fun um, playing together, and uh, it's a it's a good way to uh, spend an evening. But all that said, I didn't I didn't get to the movie theater as much as I would have liked to, um, because there's like a bunch of movies came out, but like. Ford versus Ferrari came out this past weekend. I want to see that, but it's two and a half hours freaking long. Yeah, but I mean, I oh, feel no. like I want to see oh, it too, yeah. but I can't cram it in because oh, it's, it's so long. So like, I've been, I think Wednesday night I might get to see it, unless um, I might drive out and see Parasite because it's playing Parasite's playing in Lakeland, and I don't know if it's going to be here or not next week. Um, and I want to see it if I can. Uh, before the end of the year, so I'm I'm thinking I might make the trip to Lakeland, but um, if not, I will try to go see Ford v Ferrari. Um, since that's I like, I kind of want to see the Charlie Angels movie. Like I'm not like pumped about it or anything, but I I like Kristen Stewart enough that I want to give it a go. Um, Good Liars playing at my mall, which I want to see. That's the uh, Ian Mc, Ian um, McKellen. McKellen movie, Helen Mirren. Um, that looks interesting, if nothing else, but. Um, I, I, I feel like, so I signed up for the Regal Unlimited a few months ago mm-hmm. and I've been feeling like it's been kind of dry, you know, not a lot oh, of movies really? coming out. And then like, boom, this month it's been intense I and got, I feel like, oh, go bo- ahead. Oh no, I, I got bonus points, um, for seeing 25 movies since I signed up for the, bat, uh, the Unlimited. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm over that for sure, but because like you said, the first couple of months did feel a little slow. Um, and then like October and November, I mean like the last three weeks has been like three or four movies that have come out. 
Um, and I did go see two movies last Monday, but we already talked about those on the last episode. And then I didn't get to go again because I worked Tuesday and Thursday nights at my college class. Um, plus Thursday night was uh, my daughter was inducted in the National Honor Society at our high school. So I went to oh that ceremony because it was a cool thing for her. Uh, she's worked real hard to get that. And, she's so rad. Um, yeah. And so I, I went to that, which, you know, the way our movie theater, we don't do late shows during the like, mm. regular time. So like the last shows at like seven. So the ceremony ended like right when the movies uh. would have been ending. Or uh, starting, I should say. And so, not a big deal, because, again, I, I, without hesitation, went to uh, see my daughter get inducted. It was a big deal um, to us, you know, whether or not it's a big deal to everybody. We cared. And so, uh, I had no no issue doing that. But it did, like, again, occupy time where I could have gone to see a movie. And then this weekend just got away from me with, with the job. And um, I feel like something happened Saturday night don't remember oh uh there our school had a dance that my daughter went to so i had to take her to the dance and again the way the movie times were running and the time the dance started and ended there was no way for me to go see something without being either late to take her to the dance or late to pick her up from the dance so it just one thing after another um i did my daughter and i did trek out to see a movie yesterday which we'll talk about like i guess now you want to go first or second for what we've been watching you can go um so i i I've only seen two movies this week since we last recorded. Barton Fink, which we'll be talking about momentarily, and uh, my daughter and I, uh, she hasn't c- gone to the movies with me in a while. And when I, I mentioned that this one was playing in Lakeland um, and I wanted to go after work on Sunday, uh, she was like, yes, let's we'll go get dinner and we'll watch a movie because um, my wife had to close last night. And so we went to see Jojo Rabbit, um, the new Taika Waititi film, and we both enjoyed it very, very much. I did not realize, or I had forgotten, but Thomasin McKenzie, who was in Leave No Trace last year. Yes! She, she is, killed it! She's so good in this. Um, and she was amazing in Leave No Trace, but she's so good in this movie. And I just love that. I just assume that that's how she is as a person in real life. Like, quiet, um, soft-spoken. You know, I just... But unbelievably nuanced. Like, her performances are so... Oh, she's amazing. ...powerful. And, yeah, you just pick up on every little thing she's thinking and feeling and yeah she's terrific i cannot wait to see her career uh over time um if her first two films that i've seen are anything to indicate uh she is super talented and unbelievably charming i guess i saw her in the hobbit but she must have been playing like a little kid in the hobbit um oh yeah i didn't even realize that yeah she's in the the last movie so i don't know what she does in that but um i've seen it though but i don't you know i don't remember much of that movie to be honest um and she's way down on the list if she's in it. So, but it's listed in her movies. Uh, she's got a few other films I've not seen, but oh, she's in the the new Netflix movie, The King, with Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson. Apparently, hmm. I need to watch that. I've heard mixed things about it, but I'm intrigued. Um. Anyways, I we both really enjoyed the movie. Um, I was I laughed quite a bit, but I was actually surprised at the emotions that the movie hit. Um, and not totally surprised because Tyke is really good at that to me. Like yes! uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, super funny. But when the emotions, when he wants you to feel something, you feel it. And I really, really like that about his films. Um, I have not watched his earliest movies. Uh, the what is it? Um, Eagle and Shark and The Boy, uh, both of which I need to to visit. Um, I just have not got there. But I have seen What We Do in the Shadows and up until this one. And I I'm definitely on on board with his sensibilities, his sense of humor. I like his visual style. Um, he's really got a, a strong visual storytelling sense. It's, it's great. If, if it's playing near you, I definitely recommend it. My review for it will be up uh, probably next week. I've already written it, but I, I try to only do like post two a week so I'm not doing as many reviews. Um, so I try to slow them down so they're, they're not just bombarded and all of a sudden I have nothing to post. So it'll be out um, soon. Uh, that's Other than that, the only other thing I've watched this week was Disney Plus came out on Tuesday. And I've watched both episodes of The Mandalorian that are currently out, which is the new Star Wars TV series directed by Jon Favreau. And, oh man, I love it uh, so much. I'm having a total blast with it. Um, and if you have not got Disney Plus yet, uh, I would, and you're a Star Wars fan especially, I would say it's a must-get. Um, aside from the fact that all of the Star Wars stuff is there, uh, one thing that Disney Plus is doing, and this is not... Um, I, I saw an article that made me aware of this. I actually didn't realize it was a thing until after the article. But 
Um, one of the things that Disney Plus has done that none of the other streaming services have done is they have DVD extras built into the service. Oh, uh, that's it's, rad. It's super rad. So, like, um, and some of them are not available on any of the regular DVD boxes and stuff. So, like, if you've bought, like, the 4K Star Wars, some of those special features and some um, that aren't on the box sets are on the movies and stuff, which, uh, for film nerds, that's a really cool feature to, to have added. Um, but, yeah, I, I am uh, all on board with Mandalorian. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to give note that Pedro Pascal, who is the voice of the Mandalorian, and I assume he's in the costume, but uh, to this point, you've not seen his face. Um which is interesting because he is a recognizable actor uh, to not be like making him take his helmet off every five seconds, which I appreciate. Cause I actually, that's one of the things that drives me nuts with a lot of the older superhero movies where they would fabricate reasons why the, the character had to take his mask off so we could see his face all the time. Um, one of the things Deadpool fixed because Deadpool uh, allowed for emoting by animating the eyes on the mask, which they then brought into the new Spider-Man costume. And it's so much better to have them do that than just take the mask off every five seconds. That drives me nuts. So um, I've been pretty happy with this movie or TV series. Um, that's kind of it. Uh, I haven't really watched anything else this week. That's been the gist of it. So um, I oh I guess since it's entertainment related, I did finish The Shining audiobook today. Yes. Um, so oh, uh, I still love Kubrick's film. So let me first put that out there. But it is substantially different, and I in a oh, in, yeah. I think in a good way. Um, I found it to be very entertaining. Um, I like a lot of the change. Well, I guess they're not changes. I like a lot of the original stuff that King had in the in the uh, book, and I am curious. I'd love to hear like Kubrick's reasoning for some of the changes, um, especially like some of the the superficial ones. The one that bugged me the most was Room Three Thirty Seven. Versus room 217. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there has to be a reason for that. And I have that on my list. Sorry, spoilers for next year. But I've always wanted, I wanted to watch that. Documentary. Yeah. And I was talking with one of my coworkers the other day and she's like, yeah, I heard that he like just changed stuff to make King mad. And I don't really think, I don't really know. I you could know. see that, but I don't also, like, I've heard... <laughs> Just to make a mat. <laughs> Kubrick's notoriously kind of an a-hole from what I've always heard. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, and who knows what kind of relationship they had. Maybe King was giving him shit early on, and so he was Word. like, oh, really? Okay, well, here's... I'm just going to change things randomly. Um, I, then again, I'd like to think it's more significant than that, but I, I can't yeah. figure anything out. I just... Um... I love them both. Like I've loved the movie for such a long time and I was nervous reading the book, but it's a completely different story. Now I am extra curious to read Dr. Sleep though, because the way the shining, the book ends definitely conflicts Mm. with part of the movie for Dr. Sleep. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm like, um, I'm, how much did they change from that book? That's what, because I'm, I saw Dr. Sleep and then I started reading Dr. Sleep, or no, I think I started reading Dr. Sleep right before I saw it, because I just finished The Shining right in time for the Dr. Sleep movie, hmm. and I'm interested in that too, because I feel like, and there, I've already come across a couple changes in the book, so I, I'm very interested to see, you know, how that ties well, up too. And the other thing, um though like what i'm really glad to be done with the book because it was 15 hours on the audiobook and mm-hmm. i've not been able to listen to like anything else basically so like i'm <laughs> oh, like, yeah. a week behind on podcasts and it's stressing me out because like i'm seeing all these building up i'm like but i don't want to like leave big gaps in the books so i just kind of power through the book um and i definitely miss some things because with the audiobook i do zone out from time to time or whatever um so i'm definitely but i definitely enjoyed it it's uh I like a man. I gotta say, as much I love the Kubrick film, I think it's 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 masterful. But there are there's some cool stuff in the book that I'm like, dang, I wonder why they didn't keep that. Like that would have been so cool. Um, and, but yeah, but I think it is a great example of how a book adaptation can be as good, but completely different and unique. You know, like it doesn't have to be a hundred percent the book. Word for word. Oh yeah, like and I yeah, Annihilation was the same. Um, I read the book after. Well, I listened oh. to the book after watching the movie because I, I really liked it but I also had before I bought the book I heard that um, Alex Garland read the book once 
and then wrote the screenplay. So he didn't like reference Whoa. the book while he was doing screenplay. It was his interpretation of the book. So there are details and stuff that match up, but there's also stuff that he completely intentionally ignored because that wasn't his point. It, it, you know, he had a vision for the story, and I definitely see Kubrick doing the same thing. Not to compare Garland and Kubrick because they are no no offense to Garland. I think Garland's two movies that I've seen, Ex Machina and Annihilation, are fantastic, and I love both of them. But I don't want to compare him to Kubrick after two movies, you know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, that's the type of artistry I think you see in, in that. Uh, so I, I'd like to see more of that because I know a lot of people who love books will instantly compare the movie to the book and say, oh, it's not the same. It's like, well, yeah, it's, but it's not, it doesn't have to be the same to be good. It, it can be different to... and be great. Um, yeah. The Shining is, a, I think, a, an outstanding example of that where it's a great movie. It's a great book. They are very different, and they then again they are very the same. Um, but I think you know there are things that the movie does better, and I think there are things that the book does better. Um, and I I think that's okay to, to have both, and I, I feel like we got to be more accepting to that concept. It doesn't have to match up as long as both. Um, one doesn't like you know poop on the uh, the original source material, and that does go both ways because sometimes the movie will get a book adaptation, and the book is often worse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Corey. What have you been watching? Um. So, our friend and I, Brendan and yes. I, were talking about Doctor Sleep, and I love you and McGregor. You love you and McGregor. He loves you and McGregor. You know. And he told me that I needed to watch Fargo season three. Ah. And that I could just start there because it's an anthology, and I wouldn't be missing anything. And Ewan plays two characters in this show so i watched jesus and the devil no (laughs) stop it we're not ever talking about that again um but uh yeah so i watched that whole third season this week i have no life um it's on hulu if anybody's interested the first three seasons i don't even know for some reason i was thinking it was an hbo or a showtime show Mm, but it's Yeah, it's FX. I don't have cable. I mean, you know. I watched several episodes of the first season because I like Fargo (laughs) a lot. Um, But I think we – I don't remember what happened. I stopped watching it, not because I didn't like it, just I got wrapped up with something else. Um, And I I never made it back. I kind of like – because I like – I like anthologies anyway, but I like that you can just pick up in the middle. Like, not in the middle, but you don't have to watch 27 seasons to know where you are. And I liked – like true blood a true detective did that i've only seen mm-hmm. like two i think three seasons but i think it's interesting that so many shows are kind of seeming well, to one of the reasons with like true detective and i think with fargo is the uh, the ability to get big name actors because they're not committing to long like a long time they're just doing one season so it's like a big movie versus mm-hmm. like latching on for several seasons some actors want to do that but some actors want the freedom to do other projects and whatnot and if you're locked into a series you can't always do other projects um mm-hmm. so like doing the anthology you can you can get some big name actors of course i say that and then like you look at american horror story and they reuse the same actors in almost every season but um i really know. love some of those actors though except oh yeah that's not not an Conroy. insult to those actors at all but most of them like uh, evan peters got big because of that show where like ewan mcgregor has been famous and now is doing some tv and same thing uh season two had somebody big in it. I can't think of who it was, but it, I want to say Kirsten Dunst was in it. Um, season two. What? Fargo. Um, I'm going to have to look now cause I can't remember what it was, but cause I, I like her, like I've liked her for a long time, but I watched uh, how to be a God in central Florida or something. Mm-hmm. And I just, I guess I connected yeah. with her on oh, like an adult. Season you know? two is all for you, Corey. Look, it's Kirsten Dunst, <gasps> Patrick Wilson, Jesse Plemons, who I love a lot. Ted Danson's in season two. Um, yeah, there's some other people that uh, Christine Miliotti, who I, I looks very familiar. I don't know. She's in stuff. Um, I can't think of what I've seen her in that I really liked her in because she looks very very familiar. Um, oh, that's what she was in uh, How I Met Your Mother for a little while. Um, but Kieran yeah. Culkin really yeah oh nick offerman yeah my oh god bye we'll have to record this some other time 
Yeah, <laughs> I've, and I've heard they're all good. But yeah, I see. I just Ewan McGregor's on the season three trailer, like sitting there. Martin Freeman's I... on one one or more episodes. I don't know which season he's in. I love Martin Freeman though. But I'm so bad with. Okay, oh. so you've been watching Fargo season three. Is that uh, everything? Um, also finishing up Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I also saw Jojo Rabbit on oh. Tuesday. Nice. That's yeah. rare for us to have both seen a new movie. That's Actually, I guess it's not as rare lately because we both saw Dr. Sleep the same week and then now Jojo Rabbit. We're going to see Dr. Sleep again. Yes, soon, right? That's why we're recording yeah, earlier than t- usual. Tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, so, love Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I love Scarlett Johansson so much. Me too. And um, it took me a little bit while we were watching it to figure out Thomason. I was like, I know her and I mm-hmm. like her, and it took a minute. And then I was just like, Me too. She's so good. And um, as soon as I realized, I was like, almost about to be like, Taylor, you must go watch Leave No Trace now because that movie's amazing. Yes. And I can't remember the name of his friend in the movie, the little cutie with the glasses. Yeah. Oh my god, he was like the best part of the movie, though. He was killing it. I don't know. I'm, I am so much. I, I don't know if we've ever really talked about him on the podcast, but I am a huge Sam Rockwell fan. Um, yeah. And uh, he's, I love him in this movie so much. Um, especially, he he's been getting typecast as a racist character a lot lately, and I don't like uh-huh. that because like he's in. Um, uh, there was a movie with like the best friend to me or i can't think of it but like he plays like the kkk lead i didn't get to see it because it was barely in theaters but um and like there's a dispute there then obviously three billboards he's got the racist you know edge to him and like he's kind of a jerk but then there is a bit of a redemption arc but it's not not really earned in that movie even though i i still like that movie but um and then here i mean he's playing a a Nazi soldier so it's like okay but I know this is a satire at least so you know and that's yeah. his character completely I th- I was I was nervous about this being a comedy because of what it is about you know what I mean but I f- I don't I mean I know that it's satire but I feel like it can be tricky maybe to get people For to sure. laugh at those things um but we went on a Tuesday, which I told Bill, no more Tuesday movies, because that's $5 Tuesday, and I was completely surrounded. Um, but I just... It, and he does such a good job. I, I've only seen, like, his one... It, didn't he do one of the superhero movies? Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yes. And then... Uh, Hunt for the Wilder Hunt People. Hunt for the Wilder People, which I think is one of the best... I think that was my favorite movie that year that it came out. It's super um, underrated. Or not underrated. Super underseen. And that is the shame. Yeah. It's highly rated. Everyone who sees it seems to love it, but it's just... love it. Just not enough watching it, I guess. Um, and have but, you seen what also... we do in the shadows? No, I haven't. Ooh. I have it in my. I think it's on. It's. It was I on. I think that it's on Prime. Prime. Yeah, it was for yeah. a while. And now that's um, an FX TV series that he uh, produced. Oh. Which... And I thought he was so funny as Adolf. Oh my goodness, he's he's a really good actor. He's. Uh, in the what we do in the shadows, he plays one of the he plays like a Victorian era vampire. Um, oh. so I don't know if you know what the premise of the show is, but it's basically a reality show. It's supposed to be like a reality show in New Zealand with four vampires living in a house together, and them going through like their daily lives and follow. Like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, you know the the traditional vampire lore that they can't go into a place unless they're invited in. The, they want to go clubbing but they can't go into the club unless they can get the bouncer to invite them in and it's it's so oh my stu- gosh it's so dumb but it's hilarious um but he's he's probably my favorite part of the movie because of he's a vampire but he's like he's you know very prim and proper he doesn't like making messes and stuff and it's oh man it leads to some hilarious uh incidents in that that's uh movie it's really really good and jermaine clement who is a uh you know, F- Flight of the Concords, and he's done a bunch of movies, but oh, yeah. um, he's one of the vampires as well, and it's excellent. Um, really good, like, mockumentary-type f- uh, film format. But, um, yeah, I I really like Taika a lot, and Jojo Rabbit ag- agreed. Just It was... I was a little nervous, too. Um, but, yeah, the, we had maybe, like, six other people in the theater with us last night, and everyone was laughing and having a good time with it, and, it, like... Like I said, he hit some of the emotional beats really hard and, like, perfectly set up. Mm-hmm. That's all I've got. 
All right, well, let's get into the stats for uh, Barton Fink. Um, the movie came out in 1991. It was the Coen's, I think, fourth film, um, if I'm not mistaken, that they directed and wrote. Um, stars John Turturro, uh, John Goodman, Judy Davis, Michael Lerner, John Mahoney, kind of, I wouldn't say he stars in it, but he's in it. Tony Shalhoub has some cool moments. We get a much different John Polito, who's been in all three of the films we've watched, uh, three of the four films we've watched. And, of course, Steve Buscemi, who shows up in most of their movies. Um, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. And from my understanding, they also uh, edited this movie with their... They have, like, an editor's uh, pseudonym that they use, which I did not I, know. I want to know more about that. I didn't have time yeah. to look into why they have to use that, but it said in that video, like, Guild. Something with their Guild and Union. Probably the amount of credits they had or something, but... Uh, 69 Metascore and a 7.7 IMDb user score. Um, I do want to give credit to that YouTube video because we are going to be talking about some of the stuff that he uh, points out, which is, um, let's see here, it is from Film Hustle, Indie Film Hustle TV uh, is the YouTube channel, or Indie Film Hustle, sorry. Um, and we watched the uh, Coen Brothers Barton Fink, the director series video. Um, I sent it to Corey and I, it sounds like she did watch it. Um, it's a little long. I think it's 10 minutes, but it was very well thought out. A uh, good breakdown of various details. And I thought, um, you know, this movie is got a really cool backstory, which I had actually read an article about that previously. But the, the guy in the YouTube video talks about it, um, that this movie is about writer's block. And they wrote it when they were suffering from writer's block when trying to write Miller's Crossing. And I think that's really unique and cool because I like this movie a lot. Um, I, di I will say I liked it more my first viewing when I watched it a couple years ago I, and I think that was just I was just so wrapped up and I also was trying to fit it into my busy 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 schedule and so I started it Friday night and only got an hour in and was like falling asleep because it was really late and I shouldn't have tried to start a movie um, and then had to split it up and I don't like to do that but it was you know what I had to do and um, it definitely I think this viewing suffered as a result of my overall exhaustion and how i attempted to cram it in um but i still found a lot of joy in it and uh, especially in the goodman and totoro scenes those scenes are my favorite by far um i really really like those scenes a whole lot and i also i like john polito in this movie because when you look at like miller's crossing and then you look at him in this movie just such different performances and i really like him as the kind of uh squirrely not so confident guy that he plays in this movie but um barton fink my experience has been mostly positive i am very curious to see what you thought Corey. Mm -hmm. um i don't really know how i feel about this film oh i felt like it was a little long um and i guess that's i like my stories to be a little more linear and i like to have I like things to be wrapped up at the end. I don't always, I mean, I'm going to say that as a like very broad blanket statement, but I do like some movies that are kind of left, you know, and you know, whatever at the end. But I just, I mean, I love John Goodman in it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I am, I did watch that. I felt like I was watching this and I was paying attention, but that I must have missed stuff because, and I don't even know how to explain it because I don't feel like there's necessarily a whole lot going on. We see the same two people almost the whole movie. I mean, there's, there's a few other, I mean, like the main interactions, it's always through Barton. Um, Barton's always our focal point and everything we experience is through his experiences. And, um, he has conversations with the Capitol Pictures producer who hires him on, which a cool connection to Hail Caesar, which I mentioned before we watched this, that Capitol Pictures was the same studio from Hail Caesar. So there's definitely some kind of connective potential there. Um, although in a lot of ways, they do feel like they're in different universes because this one feels much more surreal than uh, Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar feels very grounded for the most part. Um, at least by comparison, especially the ending of this movie, which will hold off any spoiler talk for a moment. 
Um, I was I was uncertain how you would feel about this movie. Um, I don't disagree with the length. It does for a film that's primarily a talkie. There is not a lot of uh, actual action. It is primarily dialogue driven, which is a Cohen specialty. Um, but I like stuff about the industry. I like stuff about people making movies. Um, I like artist stories where it's the the idea of creation and this one is kind of self-critical in a very interesting way because barton is so up his own ass about his talent um but he doesn't seem to realize that he's up his own ass about his talent you know um yeah and i i think that's compelling especially uh with some of the the paths that the story takes um and given the the cohen's early success and you know that they found like raising arizona the last movie we're gonna be watching next week um, they found success with that, and then they had Miller's Crossing, um, right after, um, I'm missing Blood Simple, well, then from Barton Fink, they would then go to, you know, Barton Fink actually does very, very well with the Oscars, and then they would go into Fargo, which is where they really solidified as this, like, powerful force in Hollywood, even though they still make their movies, that's one of the things I love about them, they've never really change their they make the movies they want to make and sometimes they hit really well and sometimes they're white noise to the general audience but for the fans they love like uh i would say inside Luland davis is a sleeper hit the critics love it so good cohen fans love it but it's a movie a lot of people have never even heard of um or heard of and ignored and same thing hail caesar i remember seeing it walking out and just elated and hearing the guy that goes to a lot of the movies that I go to by coincidence because he goes to the theater all the time just complaining about it just not getting what it's what it is and Barton Fink is like the extremist version of that because it is so much talking um and it is compared to a lot of their other stories there isn't a straightforward plot it's not I wouldn't say it's not linear though I I do think it has the beginning middle and end in order oh yeah but but it is a non-conventional um it's more of a character study than a traditional plot like there isn't a real goal that he's he's chasing after as much as it's about who he is in the process of writing and i i like that a lot about the film and there are weird twists and um it's very allegorical which again if you are watching this movie without thinking about it as allegorical especially a lot of their other movies aren't as allegorical some of them are a simple man is very much allegorical um I think Oh Brother Where Art Thou is, but it, you can take it straightforward. You can take it on the nose, and it's just a compelling movie without looking at the uh, the Odyssey comparison, um, which is in and of itself, I guess, an allegory. But um, and then uh, like Hail Caesar again, as I said, while set at Capitol Pictures, I think is much more straightforward with the story and and what's happening in it. Um, and even Miller's Crossing, uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in Miller's Crossing. But it is a straightforward crime movie where here where a lot of what's happening, you have to question what's really happening and what is a stand-in for something else versus literally what the character is experiencing, um, especially the ending. Uh, but again, you're not going to love every movie, and that's okay. Um, but I hope you can at least appreciate what they've attempted. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, you ready to get into spoilers, it sounds like? Yeah. Yeah, guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about Barton Fink in great detail. Spoilers, you've been warned. So, uh, Charlie is the John Goodman character, and he is the neighbor to uh, Barton Fink um, in the Barton's hotel room, to be clear. Barton's a, uh, a writer. He's a playwright in New York. Um, and as seems to happen, uh, even now, when you're successful at one area of entertainment, they ask if you can do other areas. Um, it was a Mitch Hedberg joke for a while. It's like, you know, um, whenever you, you tell jokes, they ask if you can write, like like for a TV show, and it's not the same thing kind of thing. He's a, he's a comedian, but they want to know if he can write. And that's Barton's a playwright, but they want him to make movies because that's where the money is. And so he gives it a go. He moves out to Hollywood. He gets hired by Capitol Pictures and is tasked with writing a wrestling story, something that he could write very simplistically which is what they're looking for but he has this uh self you know self i can't think of the word i want self-assigned role as this like 
middleman fighter, but he's not, or a middle class fighter. He's fighting for the middle, the little guy, you know, the, telling the story of the everyman, which right away you can tell he has no interest in the actual stories of the everyman, but his romanticized version of it. Again, I'm using some of the words from the guy uh, from the YouTube video, but I think he articulates his points so well that I'm just borrowing those ideas. Um, I do encourage, if you've seen Barton Fink, to watch that video. Um, as I think his explanation of some of the stuff is really compelling, including the allegorical elements of the hotel and Hollywood in general being a representative of hell and Barton selling his soul in order to make money. Which I thought was like back to the middle class thing. Just interesting that that's why he says he wants to be successful is so that they can offer a theater, I think in New York that, would still be affordable for the middle class to be able to attend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I thought that it was interesting that we... The only people that we see in the hotel until the police officers get there, um, the, like, people who are regularly in the hotel are Chet and Meadows. Like, we hear yeah. other people sometimes, but... Uh, I... I don't know because i thought that there were some really interesting scenes that uh, there must be other people in the hotel because they keep setting their shoes out to be shoe shined and all of this but he never bumps into any of them yeah no and i mean that's kind of by design um yeah and probably by budget too it was probably uh you know uh easier to not hire a bunch of other actors and whatnot um I love uh, the the guy breaks down like how this movie pulls from The Shining, which when you look at some of the cinematography choices that uh, uh, Roger Deakins does, totally see that. And um, the set design of the hotel has that eerie feel, especially the ending with John Goodman walking out of the, the fiery elevator and then the fire spreading and him screaming. And um, I didn't realize the time frame was like just before World War Two. Um, until oh. I watched the YouTube video and that, like him saying Heil Hitler at the end, uh, when he kills the second cop is more significant. Obviously Barton is, is referred to as a Jew several times. Um, and, uh, or I think he's referred to as a Jew several times. I know that the, the head of Capitol Pictures, well, he, he very derogatorily talks about, uh, yeah, John Polito's character. Yeah. Um, because he, he's so abusive to John Polito's character. Um, like, because he's the, you know, like, Polito, like, says, if if he thinks this, he should see it. And then he yells at him, and you're like, what? Um, I I don't know. I, I find oh. a lot of the scenes just to be really, really interesting of what the Coens are kind of saying about the industry and what they're saying about uh, the, the creative process and how, you know, what? hard it can be. Which I think that that's really funny. I can't remember all the actors' names, but the guy who hires Barton at Capitol mm-hmm. and is like keeps talking about um, how important the artist is and you know uh, being rude to that other guy who I'm guessing is his assistant. Yeah, that's the vibe I get. Okay, and what? How dare you question he and acting like the artists, the writers are so important, but they won't even let Barton pick his own like what he's gonna write yeah There's like no because that's that was always kind of the the lie of the studio was that like yes yes we need you but like we only want you to do what we think will sell like we don't want your input on that because you haven't done the research and normally neither have they um and, and that's the struggle we often run into with hollywood movies which i think when we first started talking that it's so interesting now that you'll find actors that will work with the same directors often or, you know, but they aren't tied to like one studio anymore or like having to marry people who also work at the studio or all of these. I, I, I feel like it would be so interesting to talk to someone who maybe was in the tail end of that. They would probably be very old and then have like seen those changes or worked through those changes maybe. Yeah. Because I, I don't know, we hear so much about how it used to be that I just feel like, I don't know. Well, I, I've read a lot uh, about the studio system. I've watched, um, you know, several movies about the studio system. Um, I've seen several movies from the studio system. Uh, my favorite um, 
thing that I've done so far, as far as like learning a lot about the studio system, is mm-hmm. listening to the Secret uh, Secrets of Hollywood oh. podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I've listened to the James Cagney one. Actually, it was the Warner Brothers one, but James Cagney is a feature in that one. And um, man, the, just the history of the Warner Brothers is so compelling. But then the uh, the Val Luton um, series that just ended, which is like twelve or eleven or twelve episodes, and they're each like two to three hour long episodes, maybe longer episodes, and um, it's it's so insightful to because he does a lot of research. Like it's it's scripted almost like a talk radio show not talk radio like the old school like tv show style radio shows where like he's doing voices and stuff um oh yeah and it's it's very very produced in like the best way possible but um he tries to stay true to the historical side and he uses a lot of like personal journals and diaries and stuff that have been archived um to pull like personality into the character of val luton in this case or in the warner brothers and but it's just so insightful because it's always in that time period where the studio system was in place and what the expectations were um and you know we know things i mean like uh the movie judy um showcases like you know judy garland's struggle with the studio system and how they kind of controlled her every waking moment as a child actress and how that screwed up the rest of her life you know so mm-hmm. um I- i'm always compelled for stuff like this and again uh the Coens are, they did not work in that system by any means, but they are products of it in the sense that they grew up watching movies and that they are, they've heard about those things. And they're still, while the studio system is significantly different, there's still a system where if you don't play ball the way the studios want you to, you can't get money. And if you can't get money, you can't make the movies you necessarily want to make, or you can make them and maybe not get to keep going. I mean, that's the Wachowskis are, are such a crazy story because the matrix does so well and you get the two sequels that do okay but definitely taper off and then you get speed racer which bombs but then they still get to make cloud atlas which is a crazy awesome movie that is very complex and is not meant for large audiences yet it was tried to be marketed as such and they made uh jupiter ascending which is a crazy movie that is bad at times but also good at times and it's it, but it's still like they're getting to do the stories they want to do and that's shocking because they hadn't had the the to get the big budgets that they had had it's shocking because they hadn't had the returns outside of the matrix and then um, the Coens have been kind of the same. They've had a few big hits, but then they've had a lot of sleeper hits. They don't get their movies are nowhere near the budget level that you would need to do, like with the Wachowski stuff, because Wachowski stuff has a lot of special effects and things like that. Coens have primarily been more traditional indie art house style, um, not too heavy on effects or anything like that. Um, a lot of production design, though, I think, because they do a lot of period pieces, so you have to have all the costuming and the cars and all that have to be spot on. In fact. I think their only contemporary films have been Fargo and Burn After Reading. Raising Arizona looks like it's going to be contemporary of the time it came out. But, like, you know, uh, Leland Davis is a period piece. This was a period piece. Um, uh, Hail Caesar is a period piece. Once Upon... Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is a period piece. Lady Killers is a period piece. Um, Blood Dang. Simple is not. But, yeah, most of their films are, are set back in in the... 40s 50s or i would say what uh a brother's probably early 20s i would think given like the 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 way everything is laid out but yeah so you know that costs money to pull off that style um to have all the costumes and everything um it's not as much as like i think a visual effects heavy movie but it's still going to cost more than a small indie film could usually pull off and yet they you know they keep getting to make the movies that they seem to want to make and i love them for it because i enjoy a lot of them i the only one i don't really like at all was lady killers and intolerable cruelty which is another contemporary one um but uh overall i've got one left i've just got raising arizona left to see and i am a completionist of the coens um and whatever we get next uh i'm sure we're gonna have something in the near future here but, um, well, they just did. Wasn't that last year, or was that early this year that they did the Buster? Oh, yes, uh, Ballad of Buster Tricks. But that was because of the nature of it. I feel like that may not slow them down much because it's like you know okay. the anthology, the shorts. Um, according to IMDb, they have two things in the pro- in production: the zebra striped hearse, 
which I know nothing about. Okay. Uh, but it's in production. It doesn't. It hasn't even started filming. It doesn't look like so. That's his heavy pre-production. And then they have a Macbeth movie on the books, which would be interesting if they're actually. Oh, and Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington as Lord Macbeth and Francis as Lady Macbeth. I am on board. Let's make that happen soon, guys. Um, that one says it's in pre-production on IMDb, and Zebra Striped Hearse is in development. So, intrigued that they would do Macbeth. Um, oh, No Country for Old Men is a contemporary film, but it feels like a period piece. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, Big Lebowski, too. <laughs> so, like, 50%, yeah, which is happen still happen. a lot. Yeah. They've done quite a few movies, but um, yeah. But yeah, I'm a big Coen's guy, and Barton Fink. Um, we haven't talked much about the movie, but I don't feel like there's a lot else to say about it. I really love the ending with Goodman and the, the hotel on fire, and Goodman basically saying that I'm punishing you for uh, your rudeness for like coming into my world and acting like I'm bothering you. Like you're in. Like he picks a hotel that is intentionally not nice, right? Because the, uh, the producer even says, get him in a better hotel. And he's like, no, no, I actually would prefer this. So he yeah. like, purposely is like setting himself in this world and then complaining about being in that world. And yeah, it's kind of obnoxious. Not to justify anything that Goodman's character does, but man, what a performance from Goodman. Well, yeah. I mean, I, we don't really know who kills that girl who's the ghostwriter. Yes, um, you're right. And we don't know if her head is in the box. Uh, or not, but I'd like to. I always like to assume that um, uh, David Fincher is a big fan of the Coens, and that's why Seven. There's that, that whole scene. Yeah, and then I forget what other movie we were like. Oh, like uh, Fight Club. I was wondering if it was going to be like a situation like that, with where maybe Meadows isn't a complete separate person. Ah, uh, like that he's in his head or something. Yeah. Because, I mean, the police come looking for him, but I don't know. I still didn't feel like that was necessarily cut and dry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like they – I don't think there's any room for that interpretation now to, like, say that it – like, I think in the moment it definitely could have been. But I think by the end of the film, it, it's it's definitely not Barton. Uh, yeah, and also it just seems so surreal when he, like, sets the, um... The hotel on fire. Hotel on fire, and he's, like, walking down the hall, and... Well, he doesn't even set it on fire, right? Like, we don't see him, like, burn it. It just catches fire, like, as if yeah. he is conjuring the flames from nothing. And it is... That whole segment of the film is so surreal. Um, but even when the murder happened, the, I remember watching yeah. it the first time, I was so shocked. Yeah, well, I was just wondering if that was even really happening, mm -hmm. like, that the the hotel was on fire. And, yeah, when – I thought that that was a really cool scene, and I – well, I mean, I don't want anybody to get murdered, but the way that they communicate that she's not alive when he, slaps like, slaps a mosquito, a mosquito on mm -hmm. her and she doesn't move at all. Yeah, and then he, he slaps just, the like, crap out of her to, like, kill yeah. a mosquito. Well, that – effing mosquito has been eating him alive since he moved into the hotel yeah <laughs> so i was expecting him to smack the yeah but and she just doesn't move and it's like so eerie Ugh. and then like the the matching of the blood coming from the mosquito but then like the blood coming from underneath her like she was squashed like a mosquito um you know and all of her blood just running out and uh <sighs> yeah and, and then... i Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's, um, Goodman says that he killed his family, essentially. Well, that he visited them or whatever, which the implication is that he killed his family back in New York, um, which we see him trying to get a hold of them on the phone and can't reach them. And that then his script is kind of laughed at, and this is what trash, you know, that you wrote. And then him on the beach and seeing the girl that mirrors the picture he kept being drawn to in his hotel room. Um, it's... I don't know, there's, there's a lot to interpret here, and I totally see why it maybe doesn't completely sit well. I just found it so ambitious and in, intriguing um, that it's not just a you know, simplistic story. Like, there is a lot to take in. I don't know. Yeah, well, again, you don't have to like it, but um, I do think it's worth uh, 
any film person's time um again you may not enjoy it in the end but i feel like what they're doing is is so unique and ambitious and um compelling and again it's establishing their kind of style um one of their styles because they do stuff like this they do this real moments i mean think of the big lebowski there's at least two scenes in big lebowski that are super surreal and kind of out of nowhere um and they're drug induced but nonetheless like they stylistically they come out of nowhere in that movie um where the most of that film is very straightforward and then um you get movies like that with them uh, a simple man is very similar they have uh, there's a few moments in that movie that are very surreal and the rest is like grounded in normal reality and it's just it's it's shocking when they go there um it's usually allegorical and it usually totes a line of uh is this real or is this not um and i like that about the coens so i i it's just back to seven but when he sees her on the beach and she's like what's in the box just yeah. see what's in the box i'm sorry no i know and that's what i was like man i wonder if fincher saw this movie and was like hey i got an idea <laughs> like loves it um well um i guess I, i'm gonna rate it not quite golden i'm gonna go with a decent watch and that is our review of barton fink um, we will be back next week with our last episode for the Coen's month uh, before getting into the fun month of December where we uh, go through the cracks. The movies that we wanted to see that came out this year that we just hadn't made it to, but we're going to get it in just before the deadline. But before we get to that week, we must talk Raising Arizona. This is a 1987 Coen Brother film. has a 68 Metascore, a 7.3 IMDb user score. Uh, the plot synopsis says when a childless couple of an ex-con and an ex-cop decide to help themselves to one of an, another family's quintuplets, their lives become more complicated than they anticipated. Uh, stars Nicolas Cage, Holly Hunter, Trey Wilson, good old John Goodman again, uh, William Forsyth, Sam McMurray, Francis McDormand, um, who marries one of the Coens at one point, by the way. I don't remember, but I think they have divorced, but they still work together, if I'm not mistaken. Um... And that's it for the people that I really recognize. Uh, written and directed by Joel and Ethan, as per usual. And that will conclude my filmography for them. I will have seen all of their uh, directed features, and I am excited to do so. Um, plus, I am excited to see Holly Hunter in another movie, because uh, Broadcast News, the both incredible movies, and of course, The Big Sick, have been just amazing. And I want to see... Oh, and also she's in that... Um, the only really Thanksgiving movie that exists, uh, oh, yeah. which I <laughs> Home like. Home for the holidays. Home for the holidays, which I like a whole lot as well. So good. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing this and uh, checking it off my list for a couple of reasons. Um, we'll be back next week with that episode. If you uh, want to comment or leave any thoughts about the show, about the various movies we've talked about, or about us, you can hit us up on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews, Corey. At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. And until next time, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight Show's filmtastic selection of podcasts. Covering the entire movie verse, there's something for everyone, so come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers. <laughs>